Hello and welcome to the newest edition of the CJ Sports Podcast. I am your host Charlie and joined with me today ahead of the biggest game in American sports is Michael. Mark, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing well, Charlie. Thanks for having me on. Now, crazy game upcoming. We've got the Cincinnati Bengals doesn't quite sound right. The fact they're in the Super Bowl coming against the Rams. Yeah. This was the craziest season of my life. Why yours? Oh, absolutely. I mean, even if you just took the playoffs alone and treated them like a separate season, uh, you know, it would go down as one of the greats. The divisional round followed by the championship round was just unbelievable. So much so that I actually forgot what had a wild card round. I mean, I was looking back through the stats earlier and I remembered that, you know, it said the Bengals versus the Raiders and uh, the, the Cardinals made the playoffs as well. You know, that all just seems like an absolute lifetime ago. But yeah, uh, shaping up to be a great game on Sunday. I mean, the fact that the Bengals are in the Super Bowl kind of shows to me that the minute you get the quarterback right now, it's not just you get the quarterback right, then you can build. It's the minute you get the quarterback right, then you can compete. Never used to be like that. Do you think the rules have gone so far now to the point that it's sort of becoming a one-position game almost? I mean, they're so protected. Like, quarterbacks are just unbelievably protected. Um, if you look back at how quarterbacks used to play, um, you know, I'm talking way back in the 70s and 80s, and, you know, how different the game is now, the way you're hardly allowed to touch them. Yeah, that definitely gives them an advantage. It gives them more time. It gives them more space. Um, plus the receivers now, you know, they, all, all advantages go to the go to the attacker. But as you say, that's all well and good. Unless you have the guy that can play the position well enough, then, you know, it doesn't matter. So as much as the Royals do favour the offence, you do need to have the, have the star key player. And I think we are going to get into the uh, quarterback discussion in full between Stafford and Burrow. Like I say, it's the, uh, the biggest game in American sports and uh, we've had a massive lead up to it. And there's a lot to break down. So one thing I do want to start with in terms of the preview is coaching. Because yeah. Sean McVay is 36 years old. If I'm not wrong, I think he's younger than LeBron James. And he's, <laughs> yeah. and he's in his second Super Bowl already. I mean, it's crazy that he even has a coaching tree uh, because Zach Taylor yeah. obviously from his. Now, I was thinking the other day, you think about Bill Belichick's long list of coaching trees. that has, It hasn't quite worked out with McDaniel and now Flores and all of this isn't working yeah. out. Why do you think McVay's been able to establish this so quickly? Um, I think a, a fresh look, a fresh set of eyes on the game, so to speak. You know, that, that youth in some ways has benefited him. Um, also, I'm not sure if you know, but he has a photographic memory. I'm not sure if you've ever seen those clips, but you can tell him any player from way back. So he definitely has that going for him. But as you say, after he was hired, you know, there was a trend. There was the young white in his 30s male being hired as the head coach. Zach Taylor was one of them. Um, uh, Matt Lafleur up in Green Bay as well also followed that trend. So you know Kyle Shanahan as well. What Sean McVay has done, I think he just he, he implements that. Now I know this sounds stupid, like because all head coaches do, it, but he really emphasises team uh, and family and playing for each other in all three phases of the game. Plus he brought in experience with him. You know he didn't do it in, uh, on his own. So in his first couple of seasons, he had Wade Phillips alongside him as a defensive coordinator. So. He knows when he needs help and he knows what he does well. So I think that's what he's been able to do and able to build off that. Obviously, his first Super Bowl he got to, Super Bowl 50, uh, 53, he was brutally outmanaged, outcoached by, by Bill Belichick. Um, and it showed, it showed you know, the old guard versus the new in that game. But I think, uh, I think this Sunday, he'll have learned from his experiences, definitely. And he'll be wanting to, to make amends for that. Now, one thing I remember that will always stick in my mind from that Super Bowl is um, they're mic'd up afterwards. And, you know, it was the Mercedes-Benz Arena and they were closing yeah. the roof like a camera shutter. Now, McVeigh was standing admiring it, saying, oh, that's so cool, man. That's so cool. Yeah. Belichick, in the meantime, saying, how's that going to affect the wind? How's that going to yeah. affect the wind? What are we going to do with the kickoff? It kind of showed, um, showed the contrast. The attention to detail. Exactly. Um, now, I think one thing you can say about McVeigh and talking about the new guard, um, is that when Belichick's coaches come out, they tend to come out with this whole Belichick almost arrogance. It's like a dictatorship. But yeah. they're doing it, obviously, without the 20 years of respect built up and six Super Bowls. Now, McVeigh's yeah. attitude is very backslappy, yeah. all smiles, all positive, which kind of suits the new player. Do you think that's the kind of success that Zach Taylor's been able to implement in Cincinnati? Oh, definitely. Uh, as you said, the idea that 
these uh, former assistants or positional coaches of Bill Belichick walk in and instantly demand, you know, this high level of respect. You know, nobody more so than an NFL locker room will teach you that respect is earned, not just given. Um, Matt Patricia, I think probably one of the biggest examples of that, went and head coached the Detroit Lions and it just fell apart from, you know, one of the best defensive coordinators for, for many seasons whenever he worked with the Patriots, but whenever he went and had to, you know, steer his own ship and be captain there, it just didn't go, it didn't go as planned for him. Um, I, I think that across all sports as well, that attitude of, you know, as you said, backslapping, you know, sort of a bit of fun, bit of, bit of laughter about the place, uh, you know, it relaxes people as well, but as long as you show them that when it's time to get serious, when it's time to knuckle down, then, you know, that's, that's that's the main thing, and that's where they'll start to respect you. If you can prove that what you're doing is getting results, which in Sean McVay's case it has, you know, his philosophy seems to be working, then people are going to respect it. Now, many going into this game are expecting a, a Rams blowout. I think the game line's up to 4.5 now in the Rams' favour. But I think yeah. a, um, a, a big thing now, and the, one of the big storylines for me, is experience versus, you know, what you, yeah. right? So you have... McVeigh, who young but been to a Super Bowl. Aaron Donald, obviously been to a Super Bowl, been around the block. Stafford, obviously not had much playoff success, but you know he's been around the league for a long time. Yeah. I mean, on the other side, you got Joe Burrow in his first full season, effectively. Jamar Chase is a rookie. You got Zach Taylor's never been yeah. there. So, do you think it's going to prove an advantage for the Rams, or you look at the fearlessness that like Evan McPherson, the kicker, has? That he's got no yeah. ghosts haunting him. Do you think that's going to play into their hands? There's, you know, they always say ignorance is bliss. You know, that there'll be a level of naivety within the uh, within the Bengals side that, you know, why the hell not? What, you know, we've got this far. We beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead. You know, what what's going to stop us now? And it's not as if, you know, the Chiefs, you know, front seven, whatever, you know, wasn't testing Burrow. Burrow was running all over the show. The challenge again now going against the Rams is going to be twice as hard as that because, as you say, you have Aaron Donald, you have Vaughn Miller, plus his receivers won't be getting free as well as they were with Jalen Ramsey looking down on the outside. So it's bound to be playing in the Bengals' heads that, you know, this is going to be a really tough challenge. But as you said, just going in with, with no fear, with, with this idea that, you know, we've got this far. Why not just win one more football game? It might play in the Bengals' head or the, the Rams' head that way a bit more, you know. If we lose, this is, two, this is two now that we've lost and, you know, they might get a wee bit nervy. But I, I just... It's tough to say. I don't. I don't want to call it so early, but I just. I think the bank. The Rams have such a strong squad, and personally, I think if the Rams are to lose the game, I think Matthew Stafford will lose it for them. If the Bengals are to win the game, Joe Burrow is going to win it for them, or the kicker. But you know, the kicker only gets in position if Joe Burrow puts him there. So it's going to be exciting. Uh, I think it's going to be one of the most watched Super Bowls that we've had in a long, long time, simply because of this fresh element to it. You know, for so long, it was maybe one of four teams were always there. And I know the Rams aren't long removed from it themselves, but they sort of died off there for a wee bit. And the Bengals are just adding such an exciting element to it that that level of fearlessness of just going for it might might turn out to be something brilliant. You talk about the um, something that I've seen Colin Cowherd talk about. It's called the Super Bowl bubble. Well, you have about seven teams every year that, that are potentially going to make it, but now it seems like it's expanded to half the yeah. half the teams in the NFL. Seems to me that there's there's not many 0 and 16 bad teams, but there's also not many 16 and 0 great teams. Do you think that's sort of why we've been seeing crazy upsets all season long, and why Cincinnati are able to get to the Super Bowl? Yeah, the one thing I've said, and especially in regards to Joe Burrow, like Joe Burrow is the perfect advert for the NFL's model of parity. You know, uh, the reason why you give the worst teams the best pick, and I know it's it's a lotto based on who's coming out of college at the right time, but that's just the way the game is. If you don't like who's there, trade your picks away, which, as we've seen, the Rams do right and regularly. You know, they just, they're dealing their, their, their draft picks like lotto, you know. So the NFL does a very good job of... Now, I know this sounds weird, just coming off the back of a 20-year Patriots dynasty, almost on the front of a Chiefs dynasty, as I said, with quotation marks, because they've been there or thereabouts for the past four years. But the rotation, the, the fact now that you say, you know, half of the AFC pretty much is a good enough team to be getting into the Super Bowl. You know, there were teams unfortunate to be missing out on the playoffs. 
Um, I just think the NFL constantly proving itself that with its draft model, you'll have these underdogs. I mean, look at the Eagles back in 2017. I think it was no one really expected that. And they, they went on to, to produce one of the best Super Bowls we've seen in recent years. Even Tampa Bay last year, right? Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show, like, they built that team through draft picks and then were able to get Tom Brady, uh, you know, in as a free agent. So the way it works is, you know, the, the Bucks for years, you know, after their Super Bowl win, just plummeted to, like, bad and mediocre. You know, James Winston was what was plaguing them for so long, and then you replace him with the greatest quarterback of all time, and, you know, there's a Super Bowl victory straight away. Now let's talk about Matt Stafford. I know you mentioned him earlier. He seems yeah. to me, and I heard comparisons interestingly this week with him and Aaron Rodgers. So Stafford, throughout his entire high school career, was a five-star recruit, number one recruit in the country for a long stretch of that. Aaron Rodgers less so. They go to college, same. Matt Stafford is rated yeah. much higher. I mean, you've got the first four years in the league where Aaron Rodgers is riding the bench behind Brett Favre and Matt Stafford is playing for a failing team, getting them to the playoffs. Yeah. And then suddenly, obviously, Aaron Rodgers is in an extremely, you know, historically well-run organization, yeah. gets a good defense, gets some receivers, goes to a Super Bowl, wins it, and Stafford stays rotting in the Lions. Do you think that with the roles reversed, had Stafford been gifted the organization like the Packers, how many Super Bowls do you think he has? That's a good question. Um Oh, that's a really good question. I think Stafford goes to the Packers, and I think he gets—I think he gets one at least. Um, what 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 Rogers did, as you said, and how well that team was built around him, you know, he he did what he needed to do and played brilliantly. You know, he played at a high enough. It's not as if you know put any quarterback in and they could have done that. You know, Aaron Rodgers had to be playing at a fantastically high level for his team to succeed. We've seen we've seen that. Um, Matt Stafford is an unbelievable quarterback, a high-level quarterback. You know, we've seen him throw passes with his shoulder, his collarbone broken. You know, this man is always because he's played in Detroit has always been left out of the elite-level conversation. I'm not stating he's an elite quarterback, but he's been able to play at elite level. And I think with the the fact that he was able to do what he did in Detroit. I think if you put him in that Green Bay situation and have him sort of learn from Favre, learn from the coaches that they had there and play with the team that he did, I definitely think he gets a ring. As for Rodgers, if he was in Detroit, nobody was going to succeed with that Detroit, Detroit team. Now, if Matt Stafford has now got to as many Super Bowls as Aaron Rodgers in one year in LA, yeah, and if he wins it, he's won as many. Since Aaron Rodgers last won the Super Bowl, do you know what his playoff record is? Oh, probably something atrocious. I mean, he's lost to the 49ers. I don't know how many times now. It's seven and nine. Yeah. <laughs> Where Stafford, Stafford's about to win four in one year with a good team. So, yeah. all time, where does this put Stafford if he wins? Not top ten. Definitely not top ten. Um you're probably talking the fringes of the top 20. I mean, it wasn't his fault that he, he got landed with the team that he did in Detroit. Um, I mean, he did have Megatron, Calvin Johnson there for a few years. And, you know, as, as much as that isn't enough to go and win or even to, like, succeed in the playoffs, uh, he had one of the best receivers of all time and they didn't manage to do anything with it. And that's a failure of the Lions. You know, the Lions have had two elite level players and haven't done anything with it. Um, I think it's just such a pity that Stafford is so close to the end of his career, assuming so. I mean, he's, he is getting on quite a bit in age um, for, for the average age of what the NFL is at the minute. Um, I think if this move had to come five years ago, he definitely would have propelled himself higher up the all-time list. But as for now, if he goes on on Sunday and wins, gets the one ring, the level Rodgers, and you know, ultimately with a better percentage playoff record, he, he doesn't go above Rodgers for me personally, but he he, he enters the, the conversation of the top 2015. Now, let's talk about the other quarterback. Yeah. 
Now, you say Matt Stafford was dumped in a terrible situation for years and years and years. Yeah. Joe Burrow seems to cut above because he's got easily the worst O-line in the playoffs. Sacked yeah. nine times against the Titans, and he has his star wide receiver, and that's about it. Obviously, he's got, got a running game as well. If he wins the Super Bowl, is it even debatable that he's the best quarterback in the league? I think there is a debate. Um, and people will always debate. The NFL is always debating everything. Um, but what people can't ignore will be the job that he's done. I mean, Cincinnati two seasons ago were the worst team in the entire league. Uh, and that's the reason why he's playing for them. You know, I think it was, uh, it was you I was saying to uh, recently is Joe Burrow and the Bengals are what everybody thought Baker Mayfield and the Browns were going to be. You know, everybody, Baker stood at the podium at the Combine and says, you know, if anybody's going to go in and turn that franchise around, it's going to be me. Joe Burrow, while he's cocky, slightly arrogant, really confident in himself, he did it. He didn't talk about it. He's still pretty quiet. You know, you see him in interviews. He, he sort of, he enjoys the novelty of being the face of a franchise, but ultimately he wants to win. Um, in terms of best quarterback in the league, he, he automatically goes into the top five, I think. Because to do what he might do in winning the Super Bowl in his second season and pretty much being the single-handed reason for it um, is, is practically unheard of. Now, you see, if, if Burrow wins this one for me, then he's done it. Mahomes has done it with a better team. But, you know... Um, fell short last year with no O-line, but this year he had a better team than Burrow. Burrow beat him. And then also Mahomes lost to, lost to Brady twice, which puts a yeah. hit on him. He'll also be the first player in NFL history to win a Heisman Trophy, a national championship, and the Super Bowl. The first quarterback in yeah. NFL history. For me, that that catapults him. because no, Those are big accolades. They're big. It's so hard. This is the, only the third time I think we've had two number one pick quarterbacks going head to head and Stafford's not even in, yeah. his, in his drafted team. When, when you're in the NFL and you're drafted to a bad team, it's not like the NBA where you can revolutionize a franchise because you're so dependent on yeah. like, you know, great organizations and he's not in one. I think if his kicker wins it and it's a 9-7 game and Stafford yeah. loses it for the rest, but if he does what he did against the Chiefs, I, yeah. I, I, even as a Chiefs fan, I, I can't argue that anybody is better than him because it's the league's about winning ultimately, right? Oh yeah, uh, and people like to talk about a lot of stats, and people people will argue that uh, team wins aren't a quarterback stat, but when you put it into context, you have to consider it as a stat because I mean the Bengals weren't winning anything before Joe Burrow appeared. Joe Burrow got drafted. And went straight to the first, like the front office and demanded and pretty much said, get me Jamar Chase. Get me my guy from college. Bring him with me. We're going to come here. We're going to win games. Now, do I think the Bengals would have succeeded if Jamar Chase wasn't drafted? Probably still, because they were probably going to pick up a, a tackle that was going to protect Burrow better. And they've still got the guts of a pretty good wide receiving core there in Cincinnati anyway. But I think that connection, that chemistry between those two was critical to this season because I mean you go back and you look at the clips all the mic'd up and all the highlights and all Chase is saying on the sideline is let's go Joe Joe just give me the ball Joe just do this they have a clear connection a clear chemistry that they Chase just knows where he needs to be for Burrow to get him the ball and that's something that that showed leadership from Burrow to be stubborn about that you know I'm sure he had a pretty because I mean Chase showed up on draft night wearing black and orange so he knew where he was going and that's probably because in the negotiations leading up to the draft Burrow was like I want Chase to come with me so yeah the Bengals are just such an exciting team as you say if his kicker wins it even more of an advert for drafting a kicker because I mean McPherson was taken in the fifth round last year something that probably a lot of people would have laughed at at the time but Look at, look at the squad they've built. And I mean, as unlikely as it did seem all season long, they're in, they're in the Super Bowl. And Burrow's confidence seems to just run through that entire roster. He seems to be just is, is so infectious. And you talk about 
what it means to be a great quarterback. And it's something that Burrow has that Aaron Rodgers doesn't have, that Cam Newton I don't think has. And it's when if you're an amazing technical surgeon, like you, you can do operations perfectly, it means nothing if you don't have good bedside manner, right? You've got to be, make people feel comfortable. You've got to get people on side. It's a massive part of your job. If you're a quarterback, you can't just be talented. You have to be the leader of men. You have to be say all the right things. When things go wrong, it's they. When things go right, no, sorry. When things go wrong, it's me. When yeah. things go right, it's them. <laughs> so I think that's something Burrow has, and it's something you can't teach. It's something I think Dak has. Well, Dak doesn't have the talent yeah. of Burrow, right? So yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, oh, no, go on. For Burrow to succeed as he has. It shows how smart and how clever he is. I mean, he went in and he learned that offense immediately. You know, he, he got the grips with where his guys needed to be lined up, how they needed to be lined up. He learned his two-minute drills. He learned his clock management. He did all the right things. But as you said, it's all well and good if a quarterback can throw the ball 90 miles in the air. But if he can't convince someone else, you know, that they're good enough to go and catch the ball, then what's the point? You know, because if he throws that ball miles down the field and someone drops it and he gives off, well, then that's going to dishearten them. Whereas if he's saying, like, you know, that, bo- that was on me, that was a bad ball, that's going to, that's gonna, as you said, rally everyone around him. And Burrow, as in, you know, is a leader and is, it's clear that he's a leader. Um, he did it in LSU. He led them to the national championship. He, he walked straight into the pros and just started doing the exact same thing. And everyone thought, you know, Oh, you know, it's honeymoon phase. He's waiting on his welcome to the NFL moment where he'll get a dip, but it hasn't. It hasn't come. He got injured. He left, come back, and got even better. And as much of that is physical, so much more of it is mental. And he he just proved how how much of the quarterback position is also played in your head. I don't want this to turn into the whole "We hate Aaron Rodgers" or "I hate Aaron Rodgers" podcast, but it's something that you saw in the. Um... In the was it the divisional round that where Rogers crashed out, where you know he had receivers dropping passes and he wouldn't target them again for the rest of the game. He doesn't instill yeah. that belief. And talking of receivers, I mean, there's so many storylines in this game; it's insane. So we'll talk about the Rams first and Odell Beckham Jr. Because I mean, what a turnaround! You wouldn't have seen this six games into the season, right? No, definitely not. I mean, and even whenever he first moved over, you know. Beckham had a couple of dropped passes and everyone was joking, saying, you know, his dad's going to come out and make another video blaming Stafford, how he blamed Becker. And then, you know, for me anyway, maybe a bit of doubt did creep in. And I was thinking, you know, maybe Beckham is a bit overhyped. And, you know, and I sort of, I bought into it. I bought into the idea that maybe he was the problem. And then you just watch football games and you realize how much he impacts them and how much better he's made this, um, this Rams offense. And I mean, they were flying. They had Cooper Cup on a record-setting season, you know, on the trajectory of it. And he comes in, you know, takes another edge off the defense, gets his own amount of receptions, touchdowns, and plays such a vital role. Um, for, for the Rams to just do that bit of business, you know, as we've said, the Rams are known for throwing the house at it. They have no draft picks, first-round draft picks, until I don't know when, maybe two years down the line. But, I mean, in this season, they ended up, with Odell Beckham Jr. and Vaughn Miller that they didn't have at the start of the season. And that's just, it's crazy that those two high-level players can just end up in the team. If I was an Arsenal fan, so just as a bit of context, yeah. they're the Rams owners, the Cronkies own um, Arsenal Football Club as well. And for the Rams to be able to make these signings, they have to play, uh, obviously you have the salary cap and that comes out of their wages to an extent, but there's only so much they can pay. So to get around that, they, they instill big signing bonuses which means that they can pay the players like 10 million, 20 million up front. And it's all they seem to be. They seem to be the most ambitious, the most aggressive owners in yeah. the NFL. And Arsenal just seems to be in the complete back of their mind as well. So it's, it's insane so, to me. It's so unfortunate, as you say, for Arsenal fans. To, 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 if you put the two of them side by side, to watch one franchise attack and go for glory and then just leave Arsenal pretty much in, in the mud. Yeah, and it's strange because you think about the best owners in American sports and the Cronkies and the Crafts, like it's, they're, they're up there, right? Yeah. And it's just, it goes to show that it's, they're not incompetent. They just don't care about Arsenal. Um, so you yeah. mentioned um, Cooper Cup as well. I mean, what, what a backfield that um, 
what backfield that Matt Stafford has to work with. I mean, he's been absolutely incredible this season, right? Oh, Cup, Cup has just been phenomenal. Um, I mean, he went through the whole story at the start of the season why he changed his number. He went from 18 to 10, and there were so many significant reasons and meanings to that, going back to when he played in high school. And off the back of that, you could just tell he was extremely motivated. He was extremely up for this season. And then he went and showed it on the, on the field. Um, you know, from playing fantasy football, I have both benefited and been burned by how good he's been this year. Um, he roasted me a few weeks in weeks that I definitely didn't appreciate it, uh, putting up just ridiculous amounts of stats and uh, just doing it week in, week out. You know, uh, there, there's a stat, I can't remember what, exactly what it was, but it was the most consecutive games with 100 yards receiving. And last year, Adam Thielen, was on pace for it and fell short of it. And this year, I'm nearly sure Cooper, Cooper Cup broke it. And to be going over 100 yards week in, week out in the NFL is tough because teams watch films, watch film, teams know where the ball's going to go and yet you can't stop it. And that's the sign of a good receiver and a good quarterback. I mean, Cup was doing okay, but he wasn't putting up these numbers under golf which just goes to show, you know, the impact that Stafford has made. But, but Cup has been unbelievable, and I, w- I would love to see him succeed just, just for his own story and his own sake this weekend. Well, let's talk about uh, one of the Bengals receivers, CJ Zuma, who, you know, he had, he had that injury in the divisional round. Um, and he's been saying all week long, I'm playing in the game, I'm playing in the game. Nothing can stop yeah. me from playing. I mean, they'll, they'll need him to play, but it almost strikes me as a, a Harry Kane situation in the Champions League final where he returned and yeah. wasn't ready and then he just ended up being a liability and then you've got to change your game plan. How do you see that one panning out? They were able to adjust whenever he went out of the game in uh, Kansas. You know, he went out early first half. So it's clear that they've got um, contingencies in place if he's not on the field. Um, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, you know, Sorry, this is a, it's a great side. And as much as Uzama will want to play, he's not going to be fully fit based on his injury to play the full game. However, if they can utilize him in situations where they're really going to need him, well, then that benefits the team even more. And if he's up and ready for playing it, you know, he, you know he's going to give his all when he's on the pitch. So if it's for you know, a goal-to-go situation or if it's to get a crucial third down late in the third and they want to put him in there, you know, so long as he's training at a reasonably high level this week and practicing to keep himself fresh, then, you know, I think NFL benefits him better that way in comparison to the Harry Kane situation because it's not every play. You know, once Kane was on the pitch, he was stuck on the pitch. If he wanted to come off, he had to be subbed off. Whereas Uzama can play a down here and a down there and just sort of keep himself fresh. I see him playing a Gronk role, you know, in that 50, Super Bowl 51 yeah. where it's three all and they, they need a score and they just put Gronk in to yeah. make that massive catch at the end. Maybe he'll be able to, you know, take some pressure away from Jamal Chase. And yeah. talk about um, Jamal Chase and the Jalen Ramsey matchup earlier. That, that's going to be fascinating all game. Um, for Jalen Ramsey especially, because, I mean, Jamal Chase is a rookie. He's come in, he's show-classed, you know, everything he's been able to do all season long. Jalen Ramsey throughout his career has been a big mouth. You know, he's always backed it up. He's been a great player, but he's always let people know that he's good and he knows that he's good. And for him now to have his moment against what I'm not afraid to call an elite level wide receiver now in the Super Bowl, in the biggest game of the year, Ramsey has to put it all out there and he has to perform. Otherwise, now, he's a, he's a, he's a great quarterback. Cornerback, he's the best in the league. But you can't go out and get burned in the Super Bowl because everyone's going to see it. And people that don't watch football or people that watch football once a year will see it and will remember Jalen Ramsey as the cornerback that was beat in the Super Bowl. So all his talking, all his, his confidence has, has to back up this weekend. And he, he does it against big names. He does shut them down. Just hope the occasion doesn't get them and it becomes a good battle between him and Chase. I mean, you say you've got no problem calling Chase an elite quarterback. I think if he comes out there and absolutely cooks Ramsey all game long, I, I don't think I have much problem in calling him a top maybe three yeah, receiver in the league. Absolutely. Got DeAndre Hopkins, obviously Kamara's in his situation now. So, yeah. I mean, he's, he's up there with the best that the league's got to offer. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be great seeing them line up face-to-face 
almost every snap, right? Do you yeah. think they'll go one-on-one pretty much every snap? I think Jalen Ramsey will just stick to him like glue. Um, there was always this conversation whether Jalen Ramsey will cover one half of the field. Now, this isn't just in the Super Bowl. This is in all games. Does, does Ramsey take off one half of the field and cover whoever's over there? Or does he go toe-to-toe? And typically, it's whenever a team has a true clear number one, you know, someone that needs to be highlighted. So for like the likes of Seattle, DK Metcalf, uh, Keenan Allen, uh, you know, there's Devontae Adams, you know, that's when Ramsey steps up and goes toe-to-toe. He'd take like a Tyreek Hill, wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So basically in this game, in the Super Bowl, I think there's no other, there's no other matchup for Ramsey mm. other than Chase. I um I do think it'll be an interesting game for Ramsey. I think because it's almost like a Sean Taylor thing where you you don't throw the ball on that side. So either yeah, it'll be interesting. Obviously, you saw in the um, which game was it? There was one of the playoffs games this year. It might have been the Titans game where Chase didn't get much action and didn't seem to mind. It'll be interesting yeah. to see if Burrow seems to starts to force the action. Now, if the going gets a bit tough, it's going to start forcing it. Yeah, but that's that's where that's where the team aspect of it comes in. You know, the Bengals are fortunate that they can also rely on the running game with Mixon as well. T. Higgins is a great receiver. If Uzama plays, you know, that's another outlet. Um, in the Chiefs game, Burrow went to chase when he needed him, when he really needed him. But when it wasn't on, he wasn't fortunate. Um, so I think Burrow, as we were talking about earlier, is mentally strong and smart enough to know not to force the issue, not to panic. Um, but it, it's going to be one of those things, you know, when Brady had Gronk and when Brady had Julian Edelman, you know, on third down, it was the, the ball was only going to one of those two guys every single time. So if Burrow has his guys out there that he trusts, you know, it doesn't matter if Chase is covered up, the ball's going to go to Higgins or it's going to go to Uzama or it's going to, you know, they're going to give it to Mixon. Now it's... Um... Interesting how we always talk about, you know, Burrow, Stafford, the guys in the backfield, but so many times in the Super Bowls it comes down to the D line and the O line, right? It's, yeah. it's, the, it's the big guys who aren't the stars. Obviously, Aaron Donald and Von Miller are big stars, but you saw the um, Bengals given absolute fits by the Titans um, D line. Now, the Titans D line seemed a, it's, it's a little different to the Rams D line, right? It's um, a little bit more power rushy. Obviously, they have Aaron Donald, who's a power rusher, but it seems a little more twitchy, a little more fast, a little more agile, the, the Rams D-line. How do you see the O-line for the Bengals being able to cope? Um, in a realistic sense, I don't. Um, I mean, they were able to against the Chiefs, but they were able to adjust uh, and play to their strengths against a pass rush and the same against the Titans. Um, they're going to have a really, really tough time, I think, against Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller. And as I said, when when Jalen Ramsey's on the outside locking down one of your targets, you have to get to your second read quickly. The only problem is going against this Rams front seven, you don't have time. You know, So your second read quickly has to become your first read and you have to learn to adjust. And whether the Bengals can, whether they're able to, to find ways, because I mean, Aaron Donald has to be double teamed. He just has to be, because if he's not, he's going to destroy the line by himself. And then that leaves Vaughn Miller either double-teamed or one-on-one on the edge, which leaves someone free. You know, there's always going to be one free rusher, I think, for, for the Rams, and that's going to really impact Burrow's timing and how long he has on the ball, and he just needs, he needs to be quick with it because if not, it's going to be, it's going to be similar to the Super Bowl 53 where it's a, a, a defensive heavy game. Do you think it'd be interesting if Azama's not up to scratch whether they'll GC use a tight end as an extra blocker, right? And just see if they can yeah. find some way of patching up the holes. And I think the run game is going to be huge just to keep them honest. I know in the first half, especially against the Chiefs, the Bengals seem to want to run it every first down, which I think it says a lot about yeah. a team. It seems like they they can throw, but they want to run. I mean, how, yeah. how important is Nixon going to be in this game? If you don't want Burrow to get with the ball, you know, get it out of his hands quickly. And what better way to do that than to give it to, to your running back and to, to negate the, the impact that Donald's going to have. They're going to have to run away from him, quite literally, you know, as if they're scared. Just run the ball in the opposite direction. You know, you screen passes, whether it's to the running back, whether it's to the receivers. You just have to find a way to neutralize what Donald's doing. And it's not easy. I mean, he, he is a game wrecker. And 
it just it beggars belief that they also have Von Miller on that same line as well, who was a game wrecker on his own for the Broncos. Um, the the running game is going to be crucial. The screens going to be crucial, and if if they can get some momentum off of that, then you can start to bring in play action and let Burrow play that way. But that has to be established first before any of that can happen, and. I just I don't know whether the O line is going to be able to hold up strong enough for it. Yeah, I think um, it's going to come down to that, right? But uh, the the hope that Bengals fans can have is the fact that Burrow can get sacked nine times in a game and still find a way to win it. The yeah. trouble being, it comes down to what you said. Tannehill lost them that game. It, yeah. If Tannehill doesn't turn the ball over, was it three times in the end? You know, Stafford. Yeah. I think if Stafford plays a clean game, takes his checkdowns, doesn't try and force the issue too much, then I, I struggle to see a way that Burrow can do it. But every single game in these playoffs, I've looked at the Bengals and gone, I don't know how they win this game. To yeah. be fair. Maybe the Raiders, I give them half a chance. But I mean, I, I think they stand no chance if they can't find a way of stopping Cam Akers. And his recovery, yeah. his recovery coming back into these playoffs has been incredible. Yeah, um, and he was a big, big addition for the Rams as well. You know, sort of just takes that pressure off ever so slightly. Um, and it does give Matthew Stafford another outlet, another another reason to breathe and uh, a bit more time. Um, as you said, as much as he's good at running, keep him in, have him chip another rusher. Just give Stafford that little extra half second, that half step that he might need. Um his comeback, as you said, from the injury that he had, what was it? It was Achilles, wasn't it? Uh, just absolutely phenomenal to be back and playing at such a high level again. Um, testament to himself and testament to the Rams for for trusting in their medical staff and knowing that they weren't rushing him back and that he is actually ready. I find it amazing, like you talk about the modern physio and medicine, because you see yeah. an injury now and you're like, season ender, Uzama, you saw Derek Henry. And yeah. within like two or three weeks, they're yeah. back which is why I do Derek, have hope the, the, the Derrick Henry one was crazy the fact that he was even in consideration for playing um, you know it just goes to show that uh, although maybe he wasn't up to full strength but the fact that he was able to be game fit um, is, is crazy I mean running backs that have his injury don't come back the same ever again before and yeah. you know he, he looked he looked 70% of Derek Henry, which for the first game back seemed amazing, right? So I think it's probably time for us to get our teeth stuck into the um, the kind of predictions, I guess. I know it's a hard one to call. I mean, yeah. we talked about the talent that we had on both ends. Uh, one more point before we do, though, is Burr has not been, Burr has not got here on his own. And he's had halves where he seems out of it and he's needed his defense to keep him in it. Yeah. It's not seen as an elite defense, but it's played like one. Yeah, and so long as you're good, you can be great. If that makes sense, you know it only takes one game. Um, there are no real standout superstars, but so long as every one of the eleven does their job, as as Bill Belichick rhymed on and on for years, do your job. That's all you have to do is do your job, and if they come, you know, complete their assignments, do what they're supposed to do. Um. You know, I, f- I feel like they have a chance of disrupting. Both defenses have a really good chance of disrupting the other team's offense. However, I still think that the offenses will find a way to flourish. If that makes sense, um, both have weak spots, and it just it, it depends. But I think it comes down to you know on Sunday, who does the better job of executing, and in, in the the words of Belichick, doing their job. Now, I want to go into. Um... I want to go into the um, predictions. And yeah. by doing that, I think I want to go through some of the betting lines. Because um, yes. I think it's all going to lead into it. So, obviously, Super Bowl start off cagey, let's say. Yeah. Um, lots of nerves jangling around. And the total point spread uh, for the second quarter, for the end of the second quarter, is 14 points between them. So, so after the second quarter? So, by half time. The point spread is 14. I personally would take the under on that and then the over on the second half, which is also 14. Yeah. What, so the, the, the game total is 28 or is that just half totals? So it's, yeah. So they're, they're basically saying 14 for the first half and yeah. 14 scored in the second. 
Now, Super Bowls um, generally work out like that, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there are a few anomalies, obviously. The Super Bowl 48, um, when the Seahawks played the Broncos, that, that, that game ended something like 43-8, you know, and the Seahawks were just on top the whole way throughout. Look at the Falcons game as well. They built, you know, Super Bowl 51, they built this lead up over the whole game, only to see it vanish at the end of regulation. So, as as you said, these games sort of build a crescendo, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't imagine Sunday will be will be any different. Now, my favorite my favorite single betting line for the um, Super Bowl every year is the uh, national anthem time yeah. at the end about this one. <laughs> now, the over under yeah, is ninety five seconds. It's ninety five seconds this year. What you, Who, what you who's got? performing the national? Anthem? It's a country singer. I, I don't. Oh, know I'm picking the name. over ninety five seconds over. for a country. Yeah, I'm going over on that. I just want to give you a, 13 of the last 15 Super Bowls, the overs, the overs come in. I'm tempted yeah, on a cheeky underbet for that. I, I would, I would imagine, you know, this is like, you know, this is their Super Bowl. This is somebody's chance to perform in front of millions of Americans and millions else around the world. They're obviously told this is your time. You have to do this in this exact amount of time because it knocks off the time and for the rest of the thing, if you don't, I would imagine TV companies have a slight contingency in place for an extra 10, 15 seconds after, because of course they're going to want to hit that high note. They're going to want to hold it a wee bit longer. Um, why would you not want to take your moment in front of, you know, millions of people around the world? So I'm taking the over on that one. Now, do you want to have a guess at the longest, the longest national anthem and the shortest one? So how, how short do you think the shortest national anthem has been? In Super Bowl history? Yeah. I'll give you a clue. It's Super Bowl 32, 1998. So exactly seven months before I was born. Don't particularly yeah. remember it. Um, <laughs> the shortest, uh, you, you have to go about a minute, surely. One minute, 27. Now, on its own, doesn't sound crazy. But when you hear what the oh, longest yeah. one was, do you know what the longest one is? 2013. Oh, I know it. Alicia 20, 2013, Alicia. So that would have been the Seattle Super Bowl. Um, yeah, so you must remember it. Oh my God, Alicia Keys. And what the, the, the current over is at 95 seconds, so that's 135. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's to do, like one, 155. Two and a half minutes. It was a Bloody full hell. minute longer than the shortest. She, she, she's skipping a bit every two words there just to drag it out. You know, one year, one year I took the um, I took the over, and the national anthem singer missed one of the lines, and came in the oh. by like two seconds. <laughs> yeah, got... um, what was it? It was Thanksgiving, maybe four years ago, I think, in Detroit. And Aretha Frank, Aretha Franklin, who was a famous American singer, I think she's actually passed away now. If you ever get the chance, go on YouTube and search up Aretha Franklin's national anthem. It was long, it was hilarious, and the players. It was like that one in the NBA where they're all just looking at each other laughing. Yeah. yeah. Um, my God, it went on forever. I actually think she was in the two-minute mark as well. <laughs> it's crazy, but I would milk my moment too. Right. So the game line I'm right is at four and a half. It came in at three, which means that the um, the professional betting money, which is the early betting, yeah. is coming down on the Rams, which is relatively unsurprising. Um, they say that I think it was only no no team has ever won a Super Bowl being a more than three point underdog. Yeah. Um... So it's at four point five right now. Let, let's say, what, what would you take on that bet? Obviously, I, I feel like you're edging towards the Rams as a win. It's a, it's a comfortable prediction. Yeah, I would, I would take the Rams minus four and a half on that. Um, as much as I want. Because I do have my predictions wrote down here. I've got a prediction that's a sensible prediction. And then I've got, I've got my prediction. I'm a want, one that I want to happen. Um, and in the prediction, it's the Rams to win 24 to 14. So that would obviously cover the four and a half. Um, but then the want is just pure Hollywood. I just I, I wrote the Bengals 34-31 just because. I mean, we've, we've had stranger things happen. But um, 
can't believe it. Yeah, I mean, we're going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's, there's here, been too right? many times over the season where I've been overly confident against the bookies, thinking, you know, just random old me happens to know more about what they know. And, um, you know, they've ended up with my money and I've ended up with nothing. So I would probably trust the bookies on this one. The, the thing I find about the bookies is that they're not predicting the score. They're predicting what people are going to think yeah. the score is, right? And yeah. with it being the Super Bowl, I feel like everybody will think the Bengals are going to win the Super Bowl. So I, I yeah. do think it's closer than a lot of people are saying. I thought people were out of their minds by predicting that the Bengals were going to beat the Chiefs. I, I agree. They, I thought they were out of their minds. And they did it. And it, it's... It's a, my mind's telling me one thing, but you know when you're, you're watching sport and you have a funny feeling? This is the thing. How many times do we have to have something happen before we start believing in it? It was the same when Brady beat, you know, won the Super Bowl last year. It's like, how many times do I have to bat against Tom Brady before I learn my lesson that he's always going to win? You know, Joe Burrow was showing us here that he, he seemingly can do the impossible. I mean, if you watch the first quarter of that conference game, um, conference championship game, Mahomes and the Chiefs were just tossing the ball about for fun and people thought it was going to end up a cricket score and somehow the Bengals still come back and won the game. Um, the sensible prediction is on the Rams. I would not be surprised if the Bengals did do it and I would be delighted to see them do it. Um, that's why I'm just so happy it's two sort of half likable teams in the Super Bowl because for me, as a neutral, there are you know there, there's no bad outcome. It's the first Super Bowl I've watched in a long time where I would have, be happy with either outcome because I'd be delighted yeah. for Odell, delighted for Matt Stafford, delighted for Aaron, Don- uh, Aaron Donald. Also, I'd be obviously delighted for Joe Burrow and the, the Bengals organization. Yeah. They've been through hell. Um, but yeah, it's something, it's something that analytics and that common sense can't equate for is it when the Chiefs messed up their pre halftime play, yeah. I immediately turned to my girlfriend and went, we're going to lose this. I just had that weird feeling that yeah. it was just going to change on a dime. And you start the set, like, if you look at, look at the game line and the events in the game, you would go, Chiefs have got it, Chiefs have got it. But there was a moment, and I think yeah. a Matt, we're a Matt Stafford pick or a fumble or something away from just a momentum moment. And that's when the Bengals get momentum, they don't give it up. And when the Rams played the books... And the momentum yeah. shift that you got that, oh, it's Brady. That yeah. funny feeling. And I think that's how I think that's how it'll come down to, you know, the, the Rams will sort of build that really comfortable cushion lead, maybe take their foot off the gas. Um and give the Bengals that chance to come back in. On the other hand, you have to look at it. Sean McVeigh has been in that position before of not the Super Bowl, but in games where he's he's thrown away leads and, and they've got complacent in the biggest what is now the biggest game of his career as a head coach, he's not going to let that happen. He's not going to let complacency sneak in and ruin his chances of being a head coach, a Super Bowl winning head coach. But all the Bengals need is a sniff and all Joe Burrow needs is that one player, as you say, um, uh, and momentum. Momentum is one of the most key words in all of American football. And if the momentum's with you, then, you know, obviously Super Bowl, the halftime as well, plays such a key role because it's such a massive event it's significantly longer than a regular halftime so you know halftime's close to 30 minutes long and that that in itself could be such a momentum shift because i mean you have 30 minutes to rest recover recuperate watch the tape see what you did wrong go back out and correct it so uh, as the old adage says you know any given sunday and i would love to see joe burrow do it but i think the rams will now i I do think that just a, a couple final points is that I think either way, no matter what the final result is, I think the Rams will end up going a couple of scores up to start the game. Yeah. Now, a stat that I have is before he took that, McVeigh took that loss to Shanahan towards the end of the season against the 49ers where they could have yeah. knocked them out. He was 45-0 and 0 when holding a, a half-time lead. Yeah. So, put them up at half-time, who knows, but then after the book... It's going to be crazy. I, I yeah. beg, I do beg that it's not just a comfortable everyday win for the Rams because yeah. they've been such a good playoffs and so competitive. I don't think it will be. I think, I think when all said and done, when we look back at it, and I personally think it's going to be an unbelievable game. 
um, when we look at it, we'll be like, well, of course, obviously, just look at the trend that we've seen throughout all of the playoffs. This was obviously going to be one of the best Super Bowls ever. And if it's not, and if the, the Rams, you know, steamroll the Bengals, well, then we'll look at it and be like, oh, well, then, you know, we'll, we'll flip the other side of the coin. But well, common sense would have told you that with, with the Bengals for the Bengals O-line and the, and the Rams defense. But I just think it would be naive of us to think it's going to be anything other than brilliant. The last six playoff games have come down to the final play. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, why, why would the Super Bowl not? Yeah, I know. I, I really hope it does. Well, thank you, Michael. I mean, obviously, you have your um, your own podcast, the, the Mick Love podcast, and you just had Chris Medlin done. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, um, it was brilliant. I managed to get a, an interview with Chris Medlin, the Formula One journalist, and he came on, and he was fantastic. Um, you know, quick 40-minute chat before the Red Bull reveal this afternoon, and he was an absolute gentleman. Spoke about his career, spoke about his love for American sports, and uh, yeah, it's unfortunate trend of of supporting losing teams. But yeah, it, it was a great episode. I had a lot of fun, and if anybody wants to go give it a listen, as Charlie says, the McLav podcast on, on Spotify. Do you want to link your Twitter as well? I know that's been you've just started up on that one again. Yeah, just come back onto Twitter after a brief hiatus. It's just at Michael Lavery ninety eight at Michael Lavery ninety eight, and you'll you'll see some of my ramblings there over the weekend, definitely. And if you haven't come from Twitter, be sure to check out my Twitter. It's at CJ Sports Blog for heavily basketball-focused content, <laughs> which lines up very poorly with this. But hey, so that has been the uh, Super Bowl. What are we? Fifty-six. Super Bowl fifty-six. Imagine. Is it? Is yeah. it Super Bowl? 50? Okay, Super Bowl fifty-six preview. Oh wait, I didn't give my score prediction, did I? Before well, we go, no, you didn't. <laughs> I, no, I, I, I know, I. I think it will be, what did you say, 28-14? I said 24-14 to the Rams. I think we got 34-21 to the Rams. Yeah. But nice one. my crazy, I have a funny feeling prediction, I think would be like 17-15 yeah. to the Bengals. <laughs> it will be a low scorer, I think, if they're going to do it. Yeah. Nice one. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. Um, for sticking around through the ramblings at the end. Uh, yeah, thank you and goodbye. Cheers.